Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Okay, the reading is from John 15, verses 1 to 5, in page 1083. The vine and the branches. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That is the word. Well, good morning again, and what a privilege it is to be here with you. Yesterday, we had our commissioning for our new staff and volunteers, and we commissioned about 50 people uh, in Birmingham, and it was just such a great day and such a, a moment of seeing such fresh energy in the room and a belief that indeed, as you keep saying here, God can do the impossible if we do the possible. And I think that is what God calls us in to do, and, 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 and our response to that. I, I did leave yesterday after a full-on day and think, well, what's happening tomorrow? And I saw in my calendar, I'm, I'm in Ipswich, which is not too near to Birmingham. But at 6.30 this morning, I was on the road, and I was switching gear to think about this morning with you, and I'm delighted to be here with you. And it was just so great catching up with Kate very briefly, hearing about what this church is doing in the community, reaching out to those in need and being a light And that is fundamental to the heartbeat of God, that we express his love in action. And uh, it was just really encouraging for me to hear that and hear what you're doing. Um, Matthew 28, as you know, says, go into all the world and make disciples. Mark 16 says, um, go into all the world and preach the gospel. John 20 says, as the Father has sent me, I therefore send you. Acts 1.8 says, you'll be my witnesses in all of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The message here is clear, it's plain, it's simple. The message is to go. But what does that look like in our context today? That message was written 2,000 years ago. How does that play out in British culture In our 21st century, 2017, how do we do that? When I was at college, um, some years ago, I was at a sports college, you can't tell that, I know, but no comments needed or reflections or giggles, because I can hear you. But uh, I was, you had to be there if you were at national standards for something. Just before I went to college, I'd become a Christian. Before that, I was ranked number three in the country at martial arts, sports karate. And so I got in off the back of that. And I was uh, at college with some of the most gifted athletes in this country. They were just unbelievably good. And, uh, but they lived very raw lives, and we would come into class every morning, and they'd be talking about what they did the, last, the night before, how drunk they got, what drugs they took, who they slept with, and on these stories and scenarios would go. Uh, they had incredibly uh, colorful mouths. They, they told stories that would just leave you staggered. And I, as far as I could tell, I was the only Christian in the college. I didn't meet another Christian 
And one day, the lecturer said this. He said, I want you to come up and to give a presentation on one of the sports, sorry, one of the leisure industries in this country. Uh, now, what he really meant was, I want you to come up and speak about your sports background. But what he said was, I want you to come up and speak about a leisure industry in this country. And so I thought, okay. The first person got up, and he was a tennis player, so he spoke about the tennis leisure industry. The second person was a 100-meter sprinter. He spoke about athletic leisure industry. I should have got up and spoke about karate and martial arts, but that isn't the remit he gave me. He said, speak about the leisure industry. My Youth for Christ director from Harrogate said, at any opportunity, preach the gospel. This seemed like an opportunity. And so I got up and I spoke and I said, I want to talk to you about a leisure industry you probably don't even know of. It's called Spring Harvest. Let me tell you about Spring Harvest. A whole load of people invade Butlins and they go into this big tent and they sing these songs and then someone gets up and speaks. And here is a sample message from Spring Harvest. And I then preached word for word uh, a message that I had on a little cassette. It was probably from Clive Calver or someone of that nature. And I just preached my heart out to the class. When I finished... Every eye in that classroom was looking down, and I suddenly realized that I had become an absolute social leper right in everyone's midst. And I left that day thinking, God, I am never, ever, ever going to preach again because it just doesn't work. It's rubbish. I'm not going to do that. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to live as a follower of Jesus. So, Lord, this is my commitment to you. I'm going to pray for an hour every day. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to belong to an accountability group. I'm going to go to youth group. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to do what it requires to be a follower of Jesus. But that is it. And so that is what I did. And uh, towards the end of my time at college... I'm walking down the corridor, and there's a group of classmates who are in a circle, and as I'm walking past them, one of them stops and says, hey, Neil, we were just talking about you. Now, that got my attention. I'm sure it would get your attention, because you want to know what they've been saying. So I just asked that question, well, what about? And they said, well, we were saying that you're different. Now, the word different can be interpreted several ways. If I use the word different, if you serve me a meal, for example, and I really don't like it, I'll say that was different, which really means that was horrendous, disgusting, despicable. Don't ever give me that again, please. That's what it's coded for. So when they said different, what did they mean? To which uh, he then said, well, to be honest, you, you never tell us about uh, who you're sleeping with, because I wasn't sleeping with anyone. You never tell us about the drugs you're taking, which I wasn't. You never tell us about, uh, we never see you drunk. You never have a hangover. You're never swearing. You're never gossiping. You never speak. And the list of do nots and don't do's went on. And I didn't know whether that was a positive thing or a negative thing in their eyes. And eventually they said, but you know what? We really like you. And then they said, or asked, what is it that makes you different? I had preached my heart out and nobody listened. I lived as a follower of Jesus, and everyone wanted to know what it was that made me different. Ravi Zachariah, the apologist, says this. He says, people today listen with their eyes, and they think with their hearts. People today listen with their eyes and think with their hearts. If that really is true, then that needs to reflect in the way in which we go about sharing Jesus, surely. But John Stott reminds us, nothing shuts the mouth seals the lips, ties the tongue like the poverty of our own spiritual experience. We do not bear witness for the simple reason we have no witness to bear. Now, they're sobering words by Stott. 
One of the questions that I've been asked as we lived overseas for 18 years is, what do you notice that's different in this country when you come back? My answer to that is, I think discipleship has fundamentally changed in the way we go about doing it. And I think we have taken a left turn somewhere when it comes to how we do discipleship. What does the word disciple even mean? Well, the Greek word, when translated into English, is most closely associated with the word apprentice. An apprentice is someone who is learning a trade. The very first reference to followers of Jesus in the book of Acts wasn't Christians. It was people of the way. I believe a disciple is simply this, someone who is learning the ways of Jesus. And that is what we are called to do is to learn and follow and be transformed by Jesus. So society can see that we are indeed very different. We live in incredibly interesting times. We live in a times of relativity where we are told to tolerate everything except that which is intolerant. We should accept all things except that which is unacceptable, and then we should come on that which is intolerant or unacceptable, and we should crush it and destroy it, and we should be intolerant to the very thing that is intolerant itself. And we're seeing that played out continually. And there's a narrative that is taking place across this country. We are to embrace everything except that which is in itself intolerant. Jesus said, didn't he, in John 14, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That could be perceived as an excluding statement because some are in and some are out. And how unfortunate and unacceptable. Why should anyone be excluded? If I don't know God, if I don't care about God, why should I be excluded from the after party? How do we approach that in a tolerant society? Well, what's happened over the last 20 years is we've taken evangelism and we've taken the verse of John 14 and we've thrown it out of the window and we've exchanged it for mission. And for mission, we've taken a new verse, which is the great commandment, love God, love others. And we've gone out into our communities, and we are loving our communities because we love God. But the problem is we've stopped telling the communities as to why we're loving them. We're holding back on declaring who Jesus is because that's not necessarily socially acceptable anymore for us to talk about who Jesus is. That's uncomfortable. That's awkward. But here's the thing. I don't believe it's neither our words nor our actions that are going to make a difference in this country. How can that be? How can neither our words nor our actions not make a difference? How will we therefore make a difference? When we moved back to Britain, within a month, we were back at the airport, Manchester airport. We were taking our son, who was 18 years of age, and putting him on a plane and sending him back to America to study at university. And we had moved all around the world, as I shared a little earlier. And when you move in such a transient way, you really don't get to develop much of a community because you're continually moving. So therefore, the only community you can really have is to grow your own community and have a dozen children. We don't have a dozen children. We have four. But we are a very close family. And so when we were at the airport saying goodbye to Jake, we were losing a member of our closest community. And our hearts were literally breaking, and no one wanted to let go of him. We were worried that he was going to miss his flight, but nobody wanted to be the last one to let go. And I remember whispering in his ear, and I said, Jake, if you forget everything I've ever taught you or ever shown you, remember this one thing. John 15, we just heard, read to us, I think, that Jesus had a similar moment with his disciples where he says to them, if you forget anything else I've ever shown you or told you, remember this one thing. As he's walking from Gethsemane, sorry, from the upper room and he's going to Gethsemane, he passes through a vineyard. 
And I think that moment comes to him where, where he recognizes he's now on borrowed time. He's never going to have a moment like this again with his disciples. And he stops them and says, guys, guys, come here. Do you see that vine over there? Can you see it? Well, I am the vine. You are the branches. And by being connected to me, you bear fruit on your own. You're just a branch that will shrivel up and will die. And in today's context, that's like Jesus walking in here with his disciples and saying, guys, 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 come here, come here. Do you see? I'm looking for one. A light. Do you see that light bulb there? There we go, up there. Do you see that light bulb up there? Well, you are that bulb. When you are connected to the power source, you bring light and transform everything around you. But on your own, you're just a glass bulb. If we want to see change and transformation in this nation, it doesn't come through what we say or what we do. It comes through our connectivity to Jesus. It comes through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in and through us. If we want to be truly different in this land, then we need to know our Heavenly Father intimately. It's as simple as that. I was the Asia-Pacific Area Director, and as I said earlier, our ministry started from Afghanistan and went all the way over to Fiji with China and India in between and uh, many other nations, and we worked um, in the stands. We were training up uh, a bunch of young evangelists, and the stands is a very closed area to the gospel. And so we chose the most open country in the stands to be able to do this, and, and that in itself is a contradiction in terms, but we found the most open, and we went in there, and we brought everyone else in, and we did the training. And uh, I, I, one of the requirements was that they had to put into action that which they were taught I didn't know how that was going to happen. I didn't know what would happen on that particular day, but I handed that over to the national coordinator of that country for Youth for Christ. When we'd done the training, uh, the day came when the 12 young evangelists, very biblical, 12 young evangelists were to put into practice that which they'd been taught. And uh, we went outside, we got them on the bus, and as I get on the bus, I notice there's a soldier on the bus, and I turn and I say, who's this? So the, the coordinator goes, oh, well, this is the mayor, major, sorry. This is the major of all the prisons in this particular country. To which I then respond and say, oh, okay, so are we going to prison today? I'm very bright, as you can see. We're going to prison today? And the answer was, yes. Is this a specific kind of prison? Yes, it's a juvenile prison. It's for young people under the age of 18. Oh, okay, great, and off we go. I didn't apply my brain into action at all. I just didn't think about what he just said to me. And as we arrive at the prison, the doors open, the young evangelists get off, they're passing through security, and at that moment, my brain finally kicks into gear. This is a nation where you cannot share Jesus with people under the age of 18. We are going into a government facility, which just so happens to be a prison, to tell people about Jesus. This is fundamentally a problem. Now, the real problem at this point is all my young evangelists are on the other side of security. And they are now waving with great delight and excitement about what opportunities they're going to get to talk about Jesus. I'm now thinking, gosh, how are we going to get out of here? I realize I've got no choice but to go through. Uh, there are two things that I've carried on my persons whenever I was overseas, wherever I traveled. These two things could never leave me. One was my passport. I just never wanted to get rid of that because I always want to leave. And so they said, passport. And I'm, hmm, no, well, you can't come in. So I reluctantly hand over my passport. And the second thing is my phone. And they want my phone. No, I don't want to give you my phone. And they say, well, you can't come in. The reason I don't want to give my phone is because I, in moments like this, I want to be able to text my wife and say, darling, I'm in prison. Please, would you 
pray. And I can't do that. I hand it over. We go through and uh, we enter a room that is, is, is empty and in walk maybe 50, 60 young people between the age of about 9 through to 18. And there is something vacant in their expressions. And as they walk in, they are, they are surrounded by uh, prison guards with these incredibly large hats, which are very intimidating. And there's a, a great number of prison guards in there. The national coordinator then gets up for Youth for Christ and begins to talk about the work we do in our social actions uh, department, such as our orphanages and various other things. And I'm sat there listening, thinking, this is totally irrelevant. Why is he talking about these things? And then it dawns on me why, because he doesn't want to talk about Jesus because he knows it's illegal. And therefore, I'm thinking, oh, okay, so what, what are we doing here? And then when he's finished, he looks at me and says, Neil, do you have anything to share? In which I look at him immediately and say, no, I do not. And as soon as I say that, I catch the eye of what must have been a 14, 15-year-old boy. And there was something on his face, his expression, that I could only relate to to my own upbringing. And at that moment, I'm stirred and moved, and I say, actually, I would like to share. And I get up, and I start to tell my testimony. And as I'm sharing my testimony about my own background that got me into immense trouble, as I'm sharing away, the prison guards literally come to the front, and they sit down at the front, and they're engaged in my story. And I'm getting carried away in my story, and at some point, my brain realizes how my story ends. And I'm thinking, gosh, well, it ends with me becoming a Christian. How am I going to twist this so that actually I didn't become a Christian and that we can get out of here without having any problems? And then I think, well, you know what? Um, I'm already in prison, so i am not got far to go. And so I continue. And I, I, t I talk about how I became a Christian, how Jesus changed my life, and how they, if they would so desire, could have that same opportunity for transformation that he brings. And then I say, let me pray for you. And as I'm praying, I've got totally caught up in what's going on. I've lost all sense of reality. As I'm praying away, I'm feeling, I suddenly feel this pain in my leg. I look next to me, and it's the national coordinator who's basically saying, you know, you've gone too far. At that point, I wrap up my prayer real quick. We gather up our 12 young evangelists who have been absolutely, thoroughly useless. They've done nothing. I don't even know why we brought them. And as we're trying now to get out of prison, they get through to the other side. I get my phone back. I get my passport back. We get onto the bus. I'm on the bus, and my heart rate is just beating like crazy. And I'm just like, okay, okay, we're nearly out of here. The car park, we're nearly out of the car park. And as we're moving out of the car park, I kid you not, the bus is surrounded by guards. And at that moment, we're like, oh, no. There's a bang on the door. We open the door. The major gets on the bus. And we're waiting for what she has to say. And she looks at us and she says this. Would you give me a ride back to the city? So we say, yes, we would be delighted to give you a ride back to the city. She gets on the bus. She sits behind me. As we're driving back to the city, she prods me in the back of the head. Now, I don't know if you like that. I don't like that. But I turn around with a Christian smile and I say, yes. And she says this. She says, was that story you told true? as in my testimony, in which I was so tempted to say, no, I'm a pathological liar, but it was a great story, wasn't it? But I couldn't say that because I'm not a pathological liar, but if I was a pathological liar, you wouldn't know. But anyway, let me not go there. <laughs> to which I said, yes, it was true. 
And then she starts to ask questions. And she says, well, I'm a Muslim and I'm really struggling with my faith. And we begin to talk about what that means for her and who Jesus is and the difference that he can make in her life. And then we come into the city and she says, listen, this is my stop here. Let me off. And the doors open. These are our parting words to us. She says, I like you and I like you for Christ, this organization that you stand for. And I am the major of all the prisons in this country, and I'm going to open every single prison to you for Christ to come in and talk about your faith whenever you want. But not only that, young people between the age of 18 to 22 in our, in our, in our army system, no one ever wants to visit them. Everyone wants to come and see the guys in prison, but no one ever wants to see our soldiers. I'm opening every single barrack to you for Christ if you would like for you to come in to talk about your faith. You see, when we do the possible, God will do the impossible. It's as plain and simple as that. When we stand up... When we stand up and say, Lord, I am here and I am yours, please use me, he will do exactly that. There is a world of difference between what I did in college, which was courageous but stupid, versus what God did in that prison system in that country, where by the nudging of his Holy Spirit and sensitively recognizing that that is his spirit moving, saying, yes, Lord, I am here, I am willing and able to speak on your behalf because you are now prompting me to do so. And we need to learn the difference between the two. What is courageousness with no brains behind it and actually will just so not help culture versus what is God's spirit saying, now is an opportunity that I am giving you. Please take it. Let me finish with one last story, if I may. The uh, uh, Youth for Christ worker some years ago was approached by a drug dealer. And the drug dealer said to uh, the Youth for Christ worker, they were on the same patch, he said, you know what? Uh, we are both in the same business to which uh, the Youth for Christ worker said, how are we in the same business? And he said, well, we're both about reaching young people. You reach them with the gospel, I reach them with drugs. But here's the thing, I'm so much better at it than you are. And not that we are competitive at Youth for Christ, but the worker didn't like that and said, well, how are you better at it than I am? To which the drug dealer then said, well, it's, it's easy. I'm in every classroom, and I'm on every playground, and I stand on every street corner, and I'm on every bus. And I'm in every housing estate in this country. And where are you? You're sat in your church buildings hoping that young people will come to you, but they're simply not coming. And over the last 20 years, we have moved outside of our buildings, and we are taking uh, God's love to our communities, but we're not necessarily telling our communities that it is God that we love, and it is God that can make a difference. And I implore you, and I encourage you to do exactly that. To actually say, you know what, God has made such a difference in my life. I'm here serving and helping you, but he is the one who's transformed me and he can do the same for you. And to my 550 staff and 10,000 volunteers, my message is plain and simple. You need to remain connected to Jesus and you need to honestly and with integrity share him at any opportunity you get because in Romans 1.16 it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. The gospel changes lives. The gospel changes lives. The gospel changes lives. And there are people in your lives who would so benefit from hearing about Jesus. And we need to, by the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit, respond to his nudging and share him when those moments come. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much that you love us. I thank you so much for the difference that you have made in our lives. I thank you, Lord, that you continue to change us. I thank you, Lord, that you bring such hope and light and purpose and meaning to us. But Lord, may we never hold it back because as it says in Romans 10, 1 to, uh, 9 to 15, unless we tell them 
how will they know? Lord, would you allow us to speak with such boldness and confidence and gentleness of your spirit to people who need to hear your truth? Would you nudge us? Would you show us who they are? And would you give us a courage? Lord, may we bring light not only in our action, but in our words through our connection to you. And most of all, Lord, would you draw us continually closer to yourself? In Jesus' name, amen.